As humans, we often struggle with context when it comes to our faith and regularly fail to apply the Word of God in our daily lives. Verita's podcast is a weekly Bible study led by Rev. C.B. Samuel and through it, we try to understand and locate the roles we are called to play in the world we live in by delving into the teachings of the Holy Bible. We welcome you to join us in learning more from the Word of God and in learning how to live out meaningful lives as Christians. We are uh, doing the book of Hebrews and uh, today is the second study and uh, we hope to do seven or eight sessions on this book and, uh, to just to recollect what we noticed last time was that the writer of Hebrews uh, was writing to a group which was uh, perhaps uh, not very new, very, not very old in the faith and struggling with the issue of uh, the freshness of following Christ. Now, I believe that is something that was a very strong uh, concern because when you leave something and join uh, another movement, or another way of life, you still want to hold on to certain ways of doing things from the past. And uh, therefore the writer of Hebrews very strongly emphasizes that uh, the fact that uh, Christ is superior. And he started off by talking about the superiority of Christ to the angels. And today I want to look at chapter 3, verse 1, to chapter 4, verse 13. Uh, You know, these are, you know, recently I have been receiving quite a few forwards, which people send me, of articles, mainly American articles, written about why young people are leaving the church. Uh, maybe relating to the United States, you know, why young people leave the church. And uh, there are many reasons, you know, many reasons. And uh, when they leave the church, he's not talking about leaving one denomination and going to another, but uh, talking about totally dropping out of the faith. And some of them even articulate as to why they have left the faith. And some some of the articles were also based on survey, which was done or, uh, you know, which actually went deeper. And of course, most of the findings would be similar, I suppose, if a study was done in other parts of the world and India is no exception. Uh, We have people who drop out, maybe not as many as we hear has happened in the States. And, uh, but I suppose uh, there are many reasons, of course, the disillusionment with the lack of concern for things that are outside the church and the uh, lack of uh, leadership integrity. These are some of the things that I heard about. And of course, uh, they themselves found that uh, they had been brought up 
in a particular way of looking at Christ and the church. And they found that it was empty and they had never applied their mind earlier to uh, grappling with the fact of the faith itself. So we find many reasons. And uh, I'm sure that if we do a survey in India, we will find similar reasons or more reasons. But what surprised me is that uh, not of the studies that I looked at, no, nobody leaves the church because the church is mediocre. Or, you know, everybody seems to have accepted the fact uh, that uh, this is how it is. It is how it is. And whereas when I read the book of Acts and the New Testament Christianity, uh, we see a faith which is very active and very uh, authentic and able to handle uh, much more, uh, you know, realistically the things around them. And uh, the writer of Hebrews actually emphasizes that. And that's what I want to look at today. And perhaps in many parts of the world where the church is being persecuted, uh, there may be, uh, you know, a much more uh, authentic uh, characteristic of the church, which is very close to the uh, biblical understanding of the church's life. And, uh, and perhaps, you know, the comfort in which we live and the uh, lack of uh, expectation seems to have uh, diluted the, you know, the particular emphasis that we should have about what is following Christ all about. And that is one important area with which I want to look at the book of Hebrews, because the writer of Hebrews is very clear that, you know, we are not talking about another religion but we are talking about a person. And so very often you would find the writer of Hebrews is strongly emphasizing that we look at Jesus. And that's why I titled the study as Jesus-centered spirituality. You know, what does it mean to be, uh, you know, spiritual in a way that it is different from being religious? So I'm going to look at chapter three and uh, chapter three and chapter four, verse thirteen. Now uh, he begins in chapter three by saying, "Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, who share in the heavenly calling." Now, often the greetings that uh, the New Testament church, uh, you know, generally uh, addresses people with. You know, it's very interesting to look at it. You know, many times we are in the, the writer of the letters, especially, will say, you know, those who are called by God, the church of Jesus Christ, and all such phrases. And here, the writer of Hebrews would say, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling. And so it is a group that has been set aside. Holy doesn't mean that they are perfect, but it's a group that has been set aside and uh, for God's purposes and who share in the heavenly calling. And a calling not going towards heaven, 
but in a calling which is directed towards god's purposes and a very uh, interesting and very unique definition of who we are separated by god for a purpose that is a heavenly calling and uh, so these are the these this is the big key addresses the church to which they he was writing and then he says fix your thoughts on jesus whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest perhaps that is basic thing in the book of hebrews fixing our thoughts on jesus whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest and uh, which is basically to say that you know there are a lot of other things that can take our attention away angels for instance or a background of being uh, you know coming from a legalistic background and having a person like moses as a reference and later on the rituals of having a priest and uh, basically the writer of hebrew says this is about fixing our thoughts on jesus fixing our thoughts on jesus whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest you know the one who defines for us who is a pioneer and also the one who stands in the presence of god now that's basically how he begins this section and he says fixing our eyes on jesus means that we are looking at someone as different from moses because perhaps the writer uh, the people to whom uh, he was writing this letter were people who came from a jewish background and for whom moses was very important person he was the one through whom the law was given to them and so here the writer of hebrews would say that he starts off by saying fix your thoughts on jesus and then he says jesus was faithful to the one who appointed him just as moses was faithful in all god's house he starts off by talking about the faithfulness of jesus and he says jesus too was faithful just like moses and uh, as somebody whom god had appointed but there's a difference and so in verses 3 onwards still uh, verse 6 uh, he talks about the difference between moses and jesus he says jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than moses just as the builder of the house has greater honor than the house itself for every house is built by someone but god is the builder of everything moses was faithful as a servant in all god's house bearing witness to what would be spoken by god in the future but christ is faithful as the son over god's house and we are his house if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory so he says both moses and jesus are faithful and uh, moses in a particular way as somebody who was faithful like a servant he says as a servant in all god's house verse 
But Jesus, on the other hand, was faithful as a son over God's house. He says the ownership or the ownership of the house of God is Jesus's. Moses was not the one who was owner. He was a servant. And even though both are termed as faithful to God, each of them had a different place. In fact, he calls, calls Moses actually a person who is seen as the house. And he says, Jesus is the builder. And the builder has more honor than the house itself. Now, uh, interestingly, we would have thought that Moses also was a builder. But in the context of what God does, all of us, as children of God, it says in verse 6, Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house. And so Moses is no different from all of us. He was used by God, and we all are used by God because we have a heavenly calling. And we are set apart by God. And so in that way, Moses is like one of us, another person who's part of this house that God is building. But Jesus is the builder. So a very strong emphasis on why Jesus was not the same as Moses. Now, especially in the context of the Jewish community, for whom Moses had a significant place as the lawgiver, and the law was very significant, uh, what the writer of Hebrews wants to tell is that God, in his way of doing things, is that Moses was used by God, but Jesus was the son. And so our eyes should be on Jesus. And especially in the context of the law, the legalism that is there, which can easily make us feel that by practice of the requirements of the law, that the law is more important. And if we notice that when Jesus was here on earth, the struggle between the Pharisees and Jesus was largely related to keeping the law. And they looked at Jesus and someone who broke the law of God. And Jesus, in fact, said he did not come to destroy the law but he came to fulfill the law. In other words, he came to give the right meaning that the law should have, especially on the Sermon on the Mount, where he starts off by saying, you have heard it being said, but I say to you, because there was a lot of wrong interpretation of the law, and Jesus defined the law in a way that it was true to its original purpose. So the writer of Hebrews here basically says, Jesus is above the law. And we are a part of that house that he's building. And so in verse 6, he would say, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. And this is something that you would find very often in this letter. That is, if indeed. You know, it is not taken for granted. It is requirement that we hold on till the end. And as perhaps a very strong emphasis, which is forgotten these days, because it is taken for granted that once we have been chosen, 
and we have a heavenly calling and we are holy brothers and sisters, then we, it doesn't matter how we live. But the writer of Hebrews doesn't say that. He says he warns us, even in chapter 2, he says, be careful, he says in verse 1, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. And he says the chances are people can drift away from what was given to them. And here he says that Christ, you know, we are his house. If indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. You know, and the strong emphasis is that we need to hold on. And that's what he says in chapter 2, verse 6. We need to hold on firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. And then starting with verse 7 till almost the 13th verse of chapter 4, uh, he begins to expand the fact that, uh, you know, what happens to people that uh, not everybody actually enjoys the calling that God has given us, you know, the confidence and the hope to which we glory. And uh, so he expands it in a way that it begins, he wants to us to understand, he wants us to understand that this calling that we have is much more than just a ritualistic following. And uh, a ritualistic following, but actually it is something in which we enjoy and there's a way to know whether we are still walking in the right track. And so let me look at this passage because in chapter 7 he says, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me. Though for 40 years they saw what I did, that is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. There are two important things that the author introduces at this point. The word today and the word rest. Now he repeats it very often. And he starts off by actually quoting Psalm 95. He quotes Psalm 95 verses 7 and 8. And the, the line that he uses there in verse 7 is that so as the Holy Spirit says, you know, he was not quoting a conversation with the Spirit, but he was actually quoting a scripture passage because all scripture is actually given to us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So it is, you know, when we quote the scripture, we might, we might as well know that it is from the Holy Spirit. And so he says, as the Holy Spirit says. And his emphasis is that God is a God who speaks. You hear his voice. And when he speaks to us, 
he says, do not harden your heart like the people of Israel did in the wilderness. And God was angry and he said, they shall never enter my rest. And so what, what we know here is the emphasis that, you know, we, it is possible for us, even though we have a heavenly calling, to live a life in which we may not be fully enjoying the privileges that God has called to us because we are not sensitive to his voice every day because the word used is today. He quotes it there and then he very interestingly uses this word today to show it's not a one time use by God, but many times. So he goes on to see, see to it brothers and sisters that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end, and as it has been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. And uh, what the emphasis here is that God speaks. And it is not that God has spoken, but a God who speaks. And today, that means our current status with God is the real status that we have with God. It's not based on our past. Today, if we, you know, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And that was what happened with these people. And so he says in verse 16, who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those that Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest? If not to those who dis uh, disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. So basically what he was saying is that, you know, there is a God who speaks. And that's why he'd say, fix your thoughts on Christ. Because Christ, through the Holy Spirit and his word, speaks to us today. And if you hear, not to say that you may not hear, but when you hear God speak, how you respond makes a big difference. Because how you respond reveals not just the fact that you, you know, whether you're obedient or not, but also, as he says here, that sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God and hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Because how you respond to God who speaks today, you know, each day defines the kind of heart that we have. And that's why the writer of Hebrews is very concerned. And he says, therefore, encourage one another as long as it's called today, so that none of you 
may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. If, and so the whole issue is to encourage people to have a relationship with God each day because the heart's sinfulness, the deceitfulness of sin, and sin has a particular way in which it can deceive us not to obey God's word. You know, we can, we can talk about God's word, but not actually, you know, take God's word seriously. And it's not that we took it in the past. It is current. How do we respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit? And that's why he says, encourage one another. We have come to share in Christ. If indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. Again, the string has same emphasis. We hold on firmly to the very end. Because if we don't respond today, that is if our relationship with God is not a current relationship of obedience to God's word. You know, the word there is unbelief and obedience. Trusting God and obeying God. It's an each day experience. And if you don't do it, what happens is that we miss out on his rest. So in chapter four, he begins to unpack this aspect of rest. And he says here, therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Because the rest is a promise. And it is a today experience. And the chances are that we can fall short of it. For we also, for we also have heard the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. The people in the wilderness constantly were told about God's faithfulness, God's care, God's purpose, and God's direction, all those things. And we too have heard the good news. But the message they heard was of no value to them. They heard because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. You know, there were people who obeyed the message that they heard. And there were a wide, large number of people who did not obey what they heard. And the difference was one trusted God, one did not. He says they did not share the faith of those who obey. Obedience is a reflection of our belief. And very clear, as far as the Christian faith is concerned, you know, there is no way in which you can prove that you have faith in God other than what is translated into action with the prompting of the Holy Spirit who speaks through his word or even directly today, today. And so he says, now, we who have believed enter the rest, just as God said. So I declare on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And then he moves on to say about this rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. I'm looking at verse four now of chapter four. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, 
they shall never enter my rest so he talks about a god who rested and the same time saying that people will not enter his rest so now he is introduced a interesting concept of entering into the rest of god or god's rest therefore since it still remains for some to enter the rest and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience god again set a certain day calling it today this he did when a long time later the first time he said that was to joshua and now he says later god's calling it to say today when he spoke through the prophet through david as in the passage already quoted today if you hear his heart his voice do not harden your hearts for if joshua had given them rest god would not have spoken later about another day there remains then a sabbath rest for the people of god for anyone who enters god's rest also rests from their works just as god did from his let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience so what the writer says is that you know god continues to call us to say to listen to the promptings of the spirit of god now we fix our thoughts on jesus and we shape our life according to our promptings of the spirit that we hear today today is the proof of our obedience to god and he says when you do it what happens is that we enter into the sabbath rest of god now the word sabbath you know as he quotes here in the beginning in a year when he talks about god creating the earth and he rested on the seventh day and he talks about that rest god symbolically resting but that doesn't mean god has stopped working because jesus himself said my father works and therefore i work but there was the thing the imagery is that god has a rest and jesus said come unto me all ye that labor and i will give you a rest because in the world in which we live there are a lot of things that keep us from resting there is the burden of sin that jesus was talking about when he said come unto me all ye that labor and i will give you rest there's the, there is the there is the labor or the burden that we have because of the concerns of the world and what happens is that when we come to jesus and when we live a life of obedience and trust then we enter into the rest of god now the rest here is not something that is what we are going to enjoy when we finally arrive at the end of time to be with god but here he talks about entering the rest and again he says make every effort to enter the rest that means to enjoy that relationship with god because many times even those who are, have a heavenly calling and who have moved can live a life of disobedience as he said 
you know their sins deceitfulness unbelief our hearts are hardened and what happens therefore is that we fall away and that's why the writer of hebrews says keep your thoughts on christ and live a life in which you hold on to confidence your your original convictions and basically live a life of trusting and obedience and so he says no one will perish by following you know he said so that make every effort to enter the rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience and so the emphasis here is that you know in following jesus you know there is it's not about following the law it's not about keeping the law it's a life of trusting god and obeying god every day and it is in that obedience to god that we find that we have a relationship with god which is very different we function from a place of resting and it can you know we, we may, i've seen people who are called by god and we know that they reflect a kind of an at you know a kind of characteristic where there is no rest you know it's not that they are impatient but they are almost acting as though that they have to be in control of all the situations now that's not how you do when you rest in god and so that rest is not the eternal rest but a rest in which our life each day functions from a place of resting with god and so you would say that the holy spirit speaks to us as we fix our thoughts on christ and we hear god and it is today it is not yesterday we walked in obedience obedience is an everyday act i think it is andrew murray in his brilliant book of uh, in the school of obedience with christ he talks about abraham and he says that we are as obedient as we are today you know it's not we were obedient 10 years ago you know each day is a reflection of our obedience of our life of obedience a life of trust which actually is here seen as something that is different from a life that is directed by sin and unbelief and so he concludes this section by saying you know this kind of hearing god is possible because of the nature of the word of god so he says in verse 12 the word of god is alive and active you can't read the word of god and not feel the alive the life giving word and a very active word it says in verse 12 chapter 4 verse 12 is sharper than any double edged edged sword it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart he says the way you hear god is in the reading of the word of god because when we read the word of god the word of god has this very strong characteristic to reveal to us our thoughts and the attitudes of the heart it judges the thoughts so we can't pretend before the word of god 
you know, these are days, you know, and one of the things that I've learned is that, uh, you know, where you locate yourself when you read the word of God is very important because many people locate themselves as, you know, those who are recipients of the message of God for others. But God's word was not given for that purpose. God's word was to speak to us. And so when we read the word of God, because the character of the word of God is that it is alive and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, and it penetrates, dividing the soul and the spirit, and then the joints and the marrow. It's such a clear separation. So it helps us to see the thoughts and the attitudes of our heart. And so when we read the word of God, it's today that God speaks. And no, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So basically he says, you know, there's a difference between being legalistic, but keeping our thoughts on Christ, Jesus who is superior to Moses, and living a life of trusting and obeying him. You know, we enjoy a special rest in God. That is what is the authentic Christian faith. There is a rest in God. And, and that rest, if it is not there, it is only, the only reason is that we are not walking a life of obedience to God today and life in which we trust God. When these are not there, it's impossible to have the rest of God. You know, we don't enter into his rest, the Sabbath rest that is called, not the seventh day, but we're talking about a life in which we function from the rest. That's what Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor, I will give you rest. And very important for us to function each day, each moment from a position of being rested in the rest of God, in the Sabbath rest of God. So let me stop now uh, because that is a strong emphasis. That is the authentic faith. You know, not a mediocre routine, keeping the law faith that the writer of Hebrews is talking about. He's talking about entering into the rest of God. And before I close, one important thing that you notice, he talks about the responsibility we have towards each other. He says in verse 12 in chapter 3, he says, see to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. We have a responsibility towards each other to make sure that nobody is falling off through unbelief. And not only that, he says in verse 13, encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. As long as it is today, daily encourage, you know, check on each other to say, hey, how are you doing? And I'm sure that when we have some relationships with people in a transparent way, we can always find somebody who will encourage us, encourage us to follow God, not be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And I believe 
that one of the things that when I started off by saying people leave the church, not many people leave the church because they find that we are not enjoying an authentic relationship with God. Because people are not in a community of faith because they see the authentic faith. You know, people may like the relationships that are there, the fellowship that is there, the activism that is there. But Jesus said, I have come to give life and life that is overflowing. And I believe the writer of Hebrews says, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, fix our thoughts on Jesus, we enter into that Sabbath rest of God. And that is seen in the way we function, the peace that passeth all understanding that we would have. taking time out and being a part of this Bible study. Veritas Podcast is a podcast run by students and we upload every week on Wednesdays. If you find our content engaging and wish to know more, kindly subscribe to our podcast channel. Thank you for listening and we hope that you are blessed by this initiative.